I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrooks.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from Talk Sport. Hello and welcome to the Euro Game Day podcast from Talk Sport with me, Sam Matterface, and European football expert Kevin Hatchard as England head to Rome for the quarterfinals after beating Germany. Well, sometimes, just sometimes, it doesn't matter how you do it. That is not a vintage England performance, but as results go, it is right up there, right up there. For the first time since the 1966 World Cup final, England have knocked a German side out of a major tournament. Alex Crook is here, as always, now panicking that all his worst fears were about to come true. Briette, that's good morning in Russian for the uneducated amongst Fantastic. No fear. Um, England are going to hammer Ukraine, no question about that. I think the semi-final could be tricky, but it might just be coming home. Uh, plus, we'll have a look at all the rest of the quarterfinal lineup. So much for heavyweight clashes. This has been a tournament of the underdog own goals and the second half strike. Every match analysed on the ultimate European Championship preview, the Euro Game Day podcast from TalkSport. This is game day. Ah, Peter Bonetti in Mexico. Gascoigne's tears. Waddle's penalty. Stuart Pearce having one saved. Gaza stretching, but not quite reaching. Kevin Keegan resigning. Lampard's goal that didn't count. And of course, Gareth Southgate's own painful penalty. Forget it all. England inflicted a bit of pain of their own on Germany. We, we won't dwell too long on that because it was few days ago now but still we'll be smiling I think for quite a few decades uh, after that Um, it was a real privilege to be in the stadium Uh, where did you watch it Crook? Um, I watched it at Talk Sport actually because I was covering Ukraine against Sweden straight after Um, it was fantastic Um, nervy start big moment for me of the match was was the Muller miss the sliding doors moment of the tournament but I was quite emotional listening to Gareth Southgate afterwards apologising to his teammates for what happened at Euro 96. I thought that was an incredible interview that he gave after the game. Um, What's been the fallout in Germany, Kevin? Because this is the first time in 17 years that Germany have failed to make the last four of the Euros. Deep disappointment because I think even though they put in some poor performances in the lead up to the tournament and even in the tournament against France and Hungary, I think there was still an optimism that given Germany's record at Wembley, given their record against England in major tournament knockout matches, that they were going to do it. And so Joachim Löw's 15-year tenure has ended on a bit of a sour note. But I think in general, we have to remember what an indelible mark he's left on German football, a World Cup winner. You know, if you look at the first few years of his tenure, it was semi-finals at least every single time. So overall, he's done a terrific job. But now they're looking at the fact that maybe it's three wasted years. Is this team any better than the team that went out in the World Cup in 2018? I'm not sure it is. And of course, we all only have 18 months until the next World Cup. In fact, it's probably slightly shorter uh, than that. Kevin, I do notice that last time we did this podcast, you were wearing a Germany shirt. Now you're wearing a Phoenix Suns vest. Um, why, why is that? Just, just tell us. That is because uh, my Phoenix Suns have just made the NBA Finals for the first ah. time since the 90s. So you're just like Crook, you're a glory hunter. No, no, no. I've watched many bad seasons <laughs> of Suns basketball, so I, I can allow myself this one, I think. <laughs> OK, Badil, Skinner, Lightning Seeds, Keith Allen, New Order, start planning your winter break to Barbados. Those royalties are coming in. It's quarterfinal time. Shaw's got it. Shaw from left back finds himself as a centre forward for a moment. Slips it to his left. Grealish, Kane, 2-0 England. 
playing on the quarterfinals. This result will spark this country. It'll go crazy. We want to we want to do that. First team since 66. We know the quality we've got in the changing room. And to a man, we know that we can beat anyone on our day. And, you know, we're going to be ready for whatever's next to come. And that's the key. You know, if you're going to be a top team, you've got to adapt to different challenges. And there is the winner. Artem Dubnik off the bench to send Ukraine into the quarterfinals of the European Championship. It's a famous night for Andrei Shevchenko and for Ukraine. It will be England against Ukraine in Rome in the quarter-finals on Saturday. Germany 1970, Argentina in 1986, Brazil 2002, Portugal 2004, Portugal 2006, Italy 2012. Yeah, England have a litany of quarter-final exits behind them, but they were fortunate in the World Cup to meet Sweden three years ago. And I think if you could have picked any team in the draw to play in the last day, Ukraine would have been that team. Look, don't get carried away. We're not taking them for granted. England have had some trouble with them in the past. Crook, you've just commentated on their game against the, uh, the Swedes three, three days ago. How threatening do you think they are? Do get carried away. Do take them for granted. They were absolutely out on their feet at the end of extra time. Yarmolenko hobbled off. There were all kinds of other injuries they picked up. That horrendous challenge um, that left their striker, Bezidin, unable to walk and even join in the celebrations. This is a perfect game for England. Gareth Southgate, no doubt, will be rubbing his hands because they're not a great side. I think they've still got a negative goal difference. They've only ever won two matches at the European Championship in normal time. They've never kept a clean sheet in the European Championship. And given those injuries, given the fatigue, this is a comfortable England win. Absolutely no question. I'll try and play a little bit of devil's advocate here, uh, Kevin. Um, Ukraine sneaked in with three points and a minus one goal difference. As Crook says that, I mean, they scored the second latest goal ever at a Euros to get here. They are the fourth best third place team in the tournament and it's their first ever Euro quarterfinal. But take them lightly and you will get punished because this is actually a team that has drawn with France in March in a World Cup qualifier. They beat Spain in October in the Nations League. I think you underestimate them at your peril, don't you? Absolutely. And it's a team that feels it has nothing to lose because, as you say, their record in the group stage wasn't good. And so they looked as though they were going to go out of the tournament. They got a reprieve. I thought in patches against Sweden, they played really well. I think they have some really dangerous players. Yarmolenko, we know the fitness isn't great, but when he's on it, he's really on it. And that ball with the outside of the boot to set up Zinchenko for the opening goal in that game, I thought was terrific. And what he's all about, we've seen him score that long-range goal uh, against the Dutch. And that's the game, really, that is intriguing ahead of this one because they came alive in that game against the Dutch and gave them a real scare. Now, there are big weaknesses for England to exploit. I don't think they're great defensively. I'm not sure about the goalkeeper, Bushchan. I think he's made a lot of mistakes. He does make some decent saves, but I wouldn't say he's as secure as Andrei Shevchenko would like him to be. But they have so many technically gifted players. Shaparenko I thought was great against the Swedes. Ruslan Malinovsky, who finished the season superbly for Atalanta. Goals, assists, lots of good performances. Hasn't really turned up yet. At this tournament, he was left out of the starting 11 against Sweden. And I thought he sulked a bit when he came on. It wasn't the real Malinovsky. But if he does start against England, he'll have a bit of a chip on his shoulder and we might see a decent performance. So they're dangerous. England are firm favourites. They should be. They're the better team. They've got the better squad. But Ukraine are dangerous. Yeah, I, I'm quite surprised about how ineffective Malinovsky has been. I wonder whether or not that sort of underscores the fact that he's okay in a good team where he's got great players around them and he can make the best of those moments. But actually on a team which is of limited ambition and uses a lot of power in their front line to get them over the line, whether or not that craft that he has is as, as appreciated and whether or not he can he can influence a team of that sort of uh, format. Um, how do England juggle their team selection though? Because they've got four players who've got yellow cards hanging over their head. I suppose the first question is, this is the first job at hand, so you've got to do that first. But there will be sort of some forethought about what could happen in a potential semi-final. And you can't afford to lose both Rice and Phillips for that. And they are two of those on a booking. Maguire is another 
which you may think well, we don't need to risk at this juncture. You might think it's important to do that. So, so how do you how do you juggle those conundrums, Crook? I think Maguire will play. I would imagine that one of those two in midfield will be rested, probably Calvin Phillips, because of course yellow cards get expunged after this round, and as you say, that those two holding midfielders are going to be really important in the semi-final, probably against Denmark. The formation's interesting. Uh, Ukraine played a back three against Sweden with Zinchenko as a wing-back. He has been playing in midfield as part of a 4-3-3 formation. But I don't think this is necessarily a game where Gareth Southgate has to pay too much attention to what the opposition do. England, as Kevin has already said, are the stronger team on paper. I think he should pick a team to play to their strengths as opposed to try and negate whatever Ukraine can offer. I think he'll probably go back to a back four and Henderson will come in for Phillips in midfield. Interesting about the three or the four, because it was one of those incidents where it underscored the tactical nimbleness of the squad and the manager that England could flex into that shape and handle it, Kevin, at short notice. I thought it was great. Uh, I thought he got all of his calls spot on. Uh, bringing on Grealish as an impact sub rather than starting him worked perfectly. It's one of those where the coach is never going to win because if you bring Grealish on as an impact sub and he's brilliant, people will go, ah, he should have started. Mm. If he comes on and doesn't make an impact, people say, ah, you brought him on too late. So it's always a difficult one, that, for the coach. But I thought that was the right call. And negating Robin Gorsens and Yozo Kimmich in the way that they did mm. worked perfectly. And then what we saw was the attacking potential of the wing-backs. Because Luke Shaw, who Manchester United fans will tell you, does make lots of chances. The numbers guys, the data guys will tell you that too. He was involved in both goals. So once they were able to stop Gorsens and Kimmich, then those guys could get forward and start making a difference in attack. So I think it is really encouraging for England that they can play both shapes. And if he did match up with Ukraine, I don't necessarily see that as deferring to the opposition. Because if you can stop Zinchenko and Karavayev, who I thought played very well uh, against Sweden, if you can stop those guys, then they are big outlets that have gone missing. And they'll try and create those wide overloads with Yarmolenko down the right as well. So I wouldn't have a problem with them playing a back three again. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Mount and Foden will be ready to come back in. I wonder if Bakayu Saka did enough to keep his place in the team. You mentioned Grealish coming off the bench, but although he he, he created um, a chance and did, played part in both goals, created the first goal, uh, was a part of the second goal, Saka had one of those afternoons where he, he caused a few issues for that left side of the German defence without really causing a major issue, if that makes any sense. He occupied them more than anything else. Yeah, I thought he had a good game. I think he's been one of the shining stars of the tournament, probably somebody we didn't necessarily expect to be starting games when the squad was announced. So it's a big call because you're going to get the clamour um, for Jack Grealish and this might be a nice game for Jack Grealish to start. I think the fact we're talking in these terms really just illustrates the the depth in quality in the England squad. And I think that is what sets them apart, not just from Ukraine, but from a lot of the teams left in the draw. I think what was important about Saka was that Germany, I felt, started the game very well and started the game really comfortably. They had possession, lots of possession in England's half, looked a bit dangerous. Goretzka was driving from midfield. And what Saka did was he was able to get England up the pitch. And that was important. And once they mm. were able to do that, once they were able to start breaking into that Germany half, turning them the other way, even though he didn't make a tangible difference in terms of creating chances or having shots, just getting them a bit further up the pitch, I thought did make a massive difference. Totally agree with that. He's got the ability yeah. to drive forward, hasn't he? And he's great with the ball at his feet. He can dribble in and out of very tight spaces as a result of that. And he won a couple of fouls as well. He gets them down that right side of the pitch, which then maybe alleviates just a little bit of pressure. You can play a little bit higher up and you can cause problems in Germany's half. After that first 20 minutes, that's what they did. They basically played most of the game in, in the German half. And the chances that Germany did get, one of them from a mistake by England, the Muller chance, came from uh, counter-attacks, quick plays, getting in behind the, the, the England defence. So, and, and most of the time, Walker, I thought, was brilliant on the cover, did really, really well. Stones read the game well. I thought England played very, very well in the game. I actually said during the commentary, didn't make the edit, actually. I said, whisper it quietly. England have played very well in this match. They look like a mature team. Whereas I thought at the end, when Germany were throwing balls into the box, 
desperate to try and get in the uh, get the equaliser or get a goal that might lead to an equaliser or whatever. They were, they were beaten. I looked at them, body language, gone, finished, done. And I whispered to, uh, to Lee Dixon, I said to him, do you know who they remind me of? England. <laughs> <laughs> I think we saw the value of Maguire as well against Germany in terms of his defensive capabilities and his leadership. And I feel a bit sorry for Harry Maguire because he's taken a bit of a kicking over the last 18 months or so. He's had to play alongside Victor Lindelof and Eric Bailly, who's made out of glass. Even Maldini would struggle to look like a top-class defender against those pair of clowns, to be honest. That's a little bit, why did you have to be so harsh and start having to go at Manchester United halfway through a podcast about the European Championships? Anyway, um, let's talk about the venue for this game because this is the first time that England are going to play away from Wembley. That may be significant too. They don't have a great record in Rome, to be honest with you. Their last game there was the 0-0 World Cup qualifying draw in 1997 with Italy. And actually, that was quite an heroic uh, performance. England have played in Rome five times. And apart from the 1968 Euro third, fourth playoff win against the USSR, um, England's only win in Rome came against Italy in the Stadio Olimpico in a friendly in 1961. Uh, they won 3-2, <laughs> but a Tottenham striker scored and Jimmy Greaves, he got the winner. Maybe an omen for Harry Kane. Gareth Southgate has made a habit of uh, rewriting wrongs, hasn't he? Penalty shootout, wins, beating Germany at a major tournament in the knockout stages for the first time since 1966. Now he's going to conquer Rome. No question about that in my eye. <laughs> Kevin? I think the lack of travel is massive. Uh, if you look at England, uh, you know, you look at all the teams that have had to go across the continent and England have been absolutely fine so far. So I, I don't think this will be a major problem for them in, in that regard. Uh, you know, I think that is a major, after such a long season with a tight turnaround at the start of it, from the previous season, you know, the physical part of it is absolutely massive. So England should be fresher than any other team, really. So I think they'll be absolutely fine in that regard. It was quite ironic, the England fans singing, I don't want to go home um, when they haven't actually travelled anywhere yet. I didn't really get that. Is that, that That's a Welsh thing, isn't it? It, is, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it? it was a bit odd. Talking of a bit odd, what was the thinking behind Dominic Calvert-Lewin not being in the squad for the Germany game? I, I, I actually think this game is where England might need his aerial prowess at some point. It was a strange call, especially given the, the spectre of, of penalties and the fact that Harry Kane hadn't looked sharp, hadn't looked fully fit, wasn't firing. To not really have a a like-for-like like replacement, for me, was one of the big calls that before kickoff, I felt Gareth Southgate got wrong. He may still have got it wrong. It didn't matter in the end because England won by two goals to nil. But I know Dominic Calvert-Lewin was very frustrated, very unhappy not to be at least named on the bench. I'll tell you why I think he might have done it. I think it might be because of Matt Hummels. Because I think if you look at the job that Hummels did largely against Kane, mm. I thought he actually did a really good job. Physically, he, he's strong. He's so good in the air. We know about the lack of pace. Everything in the air. Yeah. Everything in he the air. He is amazing in the air. And he reads the game so well. I mean, we saw right at the end of the first half, didn't we? He had the anticipation, just nip that ball away from Kane uh, right at the end of the half. And so... If you're thinking, well, most of the time we're going to have Kane on the pitch, I don't think bringing Calvert-Lewin on would have necessarily made a tangible difference. But I think Southgate's thinking, well, if I've got more mobile, quicker guys around that Germany back three, that will make more of a difference and that will cause more problems. And actually, in the end, he was, he was right about that as well. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? 
Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Now Brathwaite coming forward down the right for Denmark, using his pace beyond Roden. Low ball across the six-yard area. It's cleared away by Williams straight to Dolberg. That's 2-0. And that could be that for Wales at UEFA Euro 2020. Cut back towards the end of the ball. Six-yard area and it's in. Patrick Schick. And it's 2-0 to the Czech Republic. And surely that's a place in the quarterfinals. Pelotti with his back to goal, trying to feed a teammate. It's Bissetti! Messina! That's it! Italy is surely through! Mounier joins in now. Back from him for Hazard. Right for his shot. Oh! Screams into the bottom right-hand corner. And Belgium lead by a goal to nil. And the defending champions are out. That will do for Spain. Mikel Oyafabo with his fifth international goal to make it Croatia 3, Spain 5. And surely this time there is no comeback for Croatia. Kylian Mbappe, right footed, saved by Jan Sommer! And the world champions are out! Another absorbing, entertaining, enthralling game in Euro 2020. It's wide open. The French are out, Shaw's got it, Shaw from left back finds himself as a centre forward for a moment, slips it to his left, Grealish, Kane, 2-0 England, bring on the quarterfinals. Still time for a winner, without the need for a spot kick, Zinchenko with the ball in, and there is the winner, Artem Dubik off the bench to send Ukraine into the quarterfinals of the European Championship. This is what tournament football is all about on Talk Sport. This is why we love the European Championship. Remember, all the quarterfinals are live on Talk Sport, including the England Ukraine game in Rome. And Crook is heading to Rome because after uh, knocking out Scotland, he's going to try and knock out England by being on site. Have you, you've done your test. You're, you're ready to go now. Yeah? You, you've got your passport. You're, you're on the plane. <laughs> you actually are going to Rome, aren't you? I am going to Rome, yeah. Um, really looking forward to it. Um, alongside the Talk Sport team, providing a bit of colour, a bit of flavour into what is happening uh, in and around the stadium. It'll be interesting to see how many England fans do make the trip, given the quarantine regulations. I think there'll be a lot of expat England fans because you can travel in from places like France without the need um, to quarantine. So I think there'll still be a fairly substantial number. I've never... So, 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 so what, what's the situation with you then? So you'll go over there. Do you, how many tests do you have to do? Oh. You, you get an exemption from for work, do you? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, I do. I haven't... Uh, had as many tests since I sat my GCSEs. The paperwork I've had to fill in is mind-boggling. But yeah, uh, basically, I arrive in Rome the day before the game. We're going to be filming and, and recording into shows in and around the city, obviously attending the match, come home on Sunday, and then I have to isolate at home at least for five days. I can, I can take a test on the fifth day, and if that records a, a negative, then I will be free to leave. So... Yeah, I'm going to be kicking my heels a bit next week at home, but it's going to be worth it. It's going to be a fantastic occasion to be there to watch England in a European quarterfinal. Because it is an, an amberless country, isn't it? And as a result of that, I think there's also sort of like some discussion about if you're found in a public place trying to watch the game causing disorder, you get a £2,500 fine. The Italians are quite strong on all of that as well, aren't they? And I, I better not cause any disorder then. Is that what you say? <laughs> yeah, I think they did. They heard you were coming. Yeah, basically on Wednesday when they found out that you were attending, as soon as you filled in that last bit of paperwork and signed your name at the bottom, they changed the law. I think they put that rule in just for Crookie, didn't they? That didn't actually exist before. Yeah. <laughs> it is a bit sad that England fans can't travel in numbers because you were there, Sam. The atmosphere at Wembley was absolutely incredible. But I guess it's churlish to moan about that when they're going to play every other game on home soil in front of a very vociferous home crowd. Totally. Um, let's talk a little bit about Italy then because they've had uh, a very long time between their last 16 game and their quarterfinal. It feels like a huge amount of time, in fact, between the two. Belgium a tad fortunate to hold on against Portugal, who were the better team in the second half of their last 16 game. Belgium against Italy, it's, it's sort of like the only heavyweight clash of the round, Kevin. Why so many ups upsets? It's really interesting. I think to an extent, fatigue has played a factor. I think that's fair to say. And I think if you look at some of the sides that have gone through and have caused upsets, they are either very cohesive units, as in Switzerland, 
or they're full of very fit, very strong players. But the other thing as well that we have to bear in mind is that I do think the gap between the bigger nations, if you like, in inverted commas, and the lesser lights is narrowed. I mean, you look at Switzerland, for example, they've got a lot of players that play in the Bundesliga that I see week in, week out, that play at a high level. A lot of guys in that team that played Champions League in the season just gone by, including Jan Zoma, yeah. who saved that penalty. He's a very, very good goalkeeper. You look at the Czechs, a lot of that team played uh, Europa League, had that really good Europa League run, and they've played together, and you can see that cohesion there. Patrick Schick plays in the Bundesliga, has played in Italy as well. So I think in years gone by, the standard of club football that some of these guys played wasn't as high as it is now. So actually, that gap has definitely narrowed. Um, Martinez against Mancini. That's uh, the big headline, um, like the 2013 FA Cup final all over again. Um, who's going to be um, Belgium's Ben Watson? <laughs> I'm not sure anybody would necessarily want that honour. I fear for Belgium in this game. I was reading this morning that neither uh, De Bruyne or Hazard trained with the rest of the squad as recently as Wednesday. I think that's a big problem. You know, yeah, two huge players. Uh, we know Italy defensively have been very good this tournament. They have uh, players in attack who can hurt an ageing Belgium defence. I think this is going to be a Mancini masterclass. I, I can't see past Italy. We, we, we've been through this. We know what this is like, this whole national agonising over the fitness of players, Kevin. I mean, all the papers this morning, and I checked them uh, earlier today, the fitness worries over De Brunner. I'm going to say that now because uh, I did bottle it on... Uh, <laughs> I wasn't going to mention that, Sam. At, I wasn't going to mention that. <laughs> Edin Hazard and the, uh, dominating the new agenda completely. Look, I, I'll tell you what happened, actually. The program started. We, if you, sorry, if you're just listening to this and you're thinking, "What the hell are they talking about?" Kevin, Alex, and I had a debate last uh, Thursday, or whatever it was, whether I would call Kevin De Bruyne by his actual name, which is Kevin De Bruyne, uh, or by uh, the the moniker to which everybody else seems to call him in this country, which is Kevin De Bruyne. Now, Kevin said to me, "Stay true to it. Stay true to it. Say say his actual name." Uh, when it came to the live, twelve million watched. Uh, last 16 game on Sunday night, Mark Pugac opens the show, calls him De Bruyne. The, all of the three of the pundits are in the studio calling him De Bruyne. I said to Lee Dixon, what are you going to call him? And he went, De Bruyne. And I was like, well, I'm an outlier here <laughs> and I'm going to make everybody else either look stupid or myself look stupid. What should I do? And, and Dicko just turned to me and said, what's going to make you look less of a dick? <laughs> it's a fair question, I suppose. <laughs> I went, okay, I'll just call him. We'll let you off. I did have a slip, though. I did have a slip. I I called him De Bruyne at least twice. I noticed, but I'm probably the only one who did notice because I'm probably the only one who cares, (laughs) to be honest. No, I spotted that. I did spot that as well. (laughs) Anyway, uh, look, um, when they those two players, De De Bruyne and uh, Adin Hazard, uh, when when Kevin Ed uh, were absent in the first half against Denmark earlier in the tournament, they actually struggled, didn't they? Yeah, they really struggled. And De Bruyne coming on in that second half made a massive difference. Scored a goal, made a goal. uh, And he is one of the world's best players. You know, there's no question about that. So... Roberto Martinez has been quite interesting in in the way he's approached this because he, he was very, very firm early on. They're not playing. They're absolutely out of this. They're not going to be mm. playing. And there has been a bit of talk in Belgian media that maybe he's downplaying it and actually they'll be able to play some part of it. The problem they've got, if neither of them play, is how do you get the ball to one of the world's best strikers? If you can then you can cause problems. And there's talk about Giorgio Chiellini coming back into the team. Acerbi has done really, really well without him. So they're okay, probably, whether Chiellini makes it or not. But they know all about Lukaku. They know how dangerous he's been in Serie A in the last couple of years. And there are players that can do damage. Yuri Tielemans is a fantastic player. We've seen that time and time again for Leicester in the Premier League. We've seen it for Belgium as well. Axel Witzel is very important for them in central midfield as well. So it's not like it's the dog and duck without De Bruyne and Azar, but obviously it does make a big difference. And this Italy team, I think, will be better for the fact they've had to really dig in and fight through that game against Austria. So... Italy are favourites, but I don't think it's a, a massive imbalance between the two. 
I totally agree with you, actually, because, you know, Italy's defence was pierced for the first time in 2021 when they considered that late Kalajic goal against Austria. Um, and they did have a few moments in that match where they, they looked as if they might get beaten. Um, obviously, Arnautovic scoring, being a judged offside, major moment in the match, VAR intervening. But I actually thought the hard-fought nature of that win could hold them in good stead because up until that point, it had been relatively easy for Italy, hadn't it? It was character building um, and they won't be the first team to survive a scare like that and, and go on to win the trophy if, if that is what the future holds for them. So I, I think they'll have learned a lot from that. They'll have learned they can't take teams for granted and I'm sure there'll be a little fist pump in the dressing room when they're building team sheet is handed in and those two big names are not in the starting lineup. But yeah, I, I think that I think they will learn a lot from that game. And going back to what Kevin was saying about why there's so many been so many upsets, I think there's been some disastrous coaching in in this tournament. De Boer has already paid the price for that with his job at, at Holland. Didier Deschamps took a lot of flack in the French media after they were knocked out by Switzerland. Mancini has just got every big decision right so far, not mm. least the suits. Oh yeah, that, I mean, that's, I mean, I don't know, I know. Whether or not you like the, the the one with the the sort of granddaddy collar that some of the players wear, but Man- Mancini looks a million dollars. Oh, incredible! All right, you, this is not the first time you've mentioned that. By the way, I'm starting to get a little bit concerned that you know you're going to end up going to Rome to try and find Mancini. He's not going to be there, by the way. This game is in. <laughs> he's angling for a free suit. Yeah. That's what it yeah. is. He's, he's trying oh, to get a that. comp suit. <laughs> if you compare that with the olive cargo pants of Luis Enrique, it's quite a contrast. However, he too game. has been pretty impressive in terms of uh, the way he's tactically managed the tournament. We'll come back to him in just a second. I like Italy's tempo of play. They, they aren't going to play well in every single game. But they don't, you can't turn around and say that they're not playing well when they haven't lost in 31 matches. It's for a reason that they've gone through uh, that such un, long unbeaten run, a, a record for their country. So I think because of their tempo, because of the way they're quite aggressive, they'll open up what is a quite a, an aging. Belgian defence. What I love about Italy is sometimes we talk about the coach doesn't know his best 11. For them, it's fine because they don't need one because the squad has so many players of a similar level that are pushing each other all the time. So I said before the tournament, I thought Federico Chiesa could be one of the, the superstars of the tournament. He, ha- he hasn't been starting games because Berardi has played so well on that right-hand side. Chiesa comes on. What does he do? Scores a brilliant goal to break open the game. Outstanding goal. And they've got those. And he's a big game player, by the way. If you look at his season for Juventus, big games against Milan, you know, games where Juventus really needed a player to step up. He absolutely did it on so many occasions. You've got Immobile or Belotti through the middle. I think that's fine. You look at the defence, Chiellini's been out. In years gone by, that might have been a big problem. You've got a Cherubi comes in. If he doesn't come in, Bastoni comes in. There's so much depth in midfield. Verratti missed the start of the tournament. Locatelli was brilliant. And so now you've got this push between those two. It is depth everywhere you look in that team. Okay, I I worry a little bit about Belgium. Um, I I must declare an interest, though. I I have had a little wager uh, before the tournament. We mentioned it right at the the beginning about Italy. I've fancied Italy all the way through as a little, little bit of an outsider. Um, they were they were in double digits in terms of their odds prior to the tournament. So I'll, I'll be pretty pleased if they get to the final, I must say. Um, the other little wager I had was on Denmark. Um, but now I clearly do not want them to get to the final <laughs> uh, because of uh, who they will get in the semi-final. Should both those teams get through? Should both those two get through? Don't want to be accused of already assuming that things are done. Right, Switzerland against Spain. It's another example of how the hell did you get here? Um, I, can't, I, can't, I can recall so many times that we have given Switzerland stick for being summarily useless and lacking ambition. Um, but what a night it was when they beat France on penalty. And, and it's odd, these knockout matches, because it does change the nature of the way you play football. Because if you're losing and there's 10 minutes to go, you have to show ambition, which is what Switzerland did. It's, it's what Croatia did. And, and Seferovic started scoring goals. It was a remarkable turn of events, probably the most unbelievable story of the entire <laughs> tournament. Um, but what chance have they really got against Spain? 
they've got a puncher's chance. I think they were unlucky in that game against France to find themselves 3-1 down. I think over the course of uh, the game, they were the better team. I think uh, Seferovic will cause the Spanish defence problems. Granit Xhaka is an absolute superstar in this Switzerland team. He was due to they join Roma. They do say blocks have more fun. <laughs> yeah, he, was due, he was due to join Roma before the tournament. I think that price tag um, may just have been inflated by his performances. Spain deserved to win against Croatia. They got themselves in an almighty pickle conceding those two late goals to take the game into extra time. I was really pleased for Alvaro Morata, who's taken a lot of stick back home. He was excellent against Croatia and deserved his goal. Crucial goal it was too. And again, Luis Enrique used the bench well and we, we've touched on it. The five subs does favour those nations. Six. Sorry, six subs in extra time. Does, does favour those nations like Italy, like England, who have that that squad depth. I also worry a little bit for Switzerland with the scenes of jubilation, rightly so, after beating France. That almost felt like their tournament right there. Do they have it in them to raise themselves again against this Spanish side? I'm not so sure. Interestingly, this game is in St. Petersburg. I think that makes another sort of facet to what is already an intriguing game because it's a lot of travelling. It's difficult, not the easiest place to get to um, St. Petersburg. Switzerland has sort of been all over the place anyway, so that you know that they won't mind the travelling. For Spain, it's been at home for three matches, and then all of a sudden they've had to go on the road, and and that that I'm sure upsets the the apple cart. Although they were in Copenhagen for their game against Croatia, and it's not too far of a stretch to then go to St. Petersburg. And um, you interestingly you mentioned those two goals they conceded late on in the game against Croatia. They've got a stubborn manager who likes to play on the front foot all the time, Luis Enrique Martinez. He, he makes them play at a good tempo, believes that this is the way no matter what, and, and he, that leaves them vulnerable every now and again. But in that Croatia game, the reason they considered the last two goals is because they changed the personnel at the back. Pau Torres at left centre-back and Laporte out of position at right centre-back causes them a problem. Garcia and Laporte know each other not very well. They've, they've played you know, a few times together at Manchester City. It's not like they're, they're defensive partners at club level, but Laporte plays on the left-hand side. We all know that. He can play on the right, but he's, he's not as good doing that. And, and that's where they've looked a little bit off kilter when Pau Torres, who is a good centre-half, playing left side, Laporte playing right right side and the dangerous high ball into the box that causes them grief Kevin yeah and they've got to keep the ball the best defense they're going to have is to not let Switzerland have it and I think the fatigue factor is very much uh, something in this game because Switzerland's uh, in the group stage alone lots and lots of travel went to Baku went to Rome went back to Baku so that's going to have had a big effect on them I thought they were incredible against the French. I mean, you have to say that the French played into their hands in that first half. They basically wasted the first half with that three at the back nonsense. Nobody knew as though they knew what they were doing. Then when Rabiot went to left back, that was an abomination. And so... Why did he do that? I know he's got two problems at left back in terms of injury and personal work. Because there was not a centre-half he could have played as a left back. It was crazy. I completely agree with you, Sam. I mean, I mean he absolutely could have done that. Uh, he could have he could have played Leo Dubois at left back. You know, and he would have been absolutely fine. He's a right back usually for Leon. I think he would have been absolutely fine on the other side. He didn't work at any stage in that first half. And if you actually look at Rabio's defending for the second Swiss goal, it's appalling. And so poor old mm. Kingsley Coman wins the challenge, then has to run all the way back to try and stop the cross as well. And, you know, Seferovic gets the goal. So they benefited from that, but you have to give the Swiss... enormous credit. The only way they're going to win this is, as you say, Sam, you get the ball into the box, you get it to Seferovic, you get it to Embolo, and you do some damage. Because I do think Spain, even though the personnel is good, I think they look really vulnerable at centre-back and have done throughout the tournament. If you go back to the Sweden game, yes, it was nil-nil. Yes, Spain dominated the ball. But Isaac caused them problems on the counter. And I do think that's where the Swiss have to hit them hard. You look at the centre of the Spain defence. I think Laporte only started 14 Premier League games last season. Garcia clearly nowhere near Manchester City's first team. So 
I think that is an area where, where Switzerland can definitely exploit them. In terms of other players who impressed me the other night, Pedri in midfield oh, what a player. for Spain. What a 18, player. 18 years of age. Oh, he, he is yeah. going to be a superstar. That, that midfield's really important, I think. Yeah, Pedri, Coco gets into the box. They play sort of slightly wider than the uh, the six, who is uh, Busquets, who's done very well, obviously. Yeah. Man of the match twice. He's never run one man of the match for Spain before. Um, it's an odd squad. There was a little bit of consternation about the fact that there wasn't a, a single Real Madrid player in it prior to the start of the tournament. He only took 24, not 26. There was a concern maybe that, that there was going to be a COVID outbreak prior to the start of the tournament. Things haven't gone particularly well for Luis Enrique Martinez uh, in the build-up to the tournament. But maybe, maybe that sort of galvanised them a little bit. And there is a bit of spirit as a result of that. You know, they played badly for the last 10 minutes of that game on Monday evening. I mean, it was great to watch. It was chaotic. It was all all over the place, but they got the job done. And there was that moment when I thought we all knew that Spain were going to go on and win the game, which is when Morata takes that ball down, shifts it to the right and lashes it with the speed and power of an Exocet missile into the back of, of the net. And, and when, when that goes in, you just think, right, okay, they're getting serious now. What's really encouraging, I think, for them is the way they rallied around Uno Simon after the mistake that he made. Uh, and he's. Did you see that? Uh, did you see that? Did you see that at, um, at full time? when Tiago, who hasn't been yeah. involved that much, went sprinting all the way to Unai Simon. Because actually, I know he conceded that goal and it went down as an own goal for him. But actually, he made a terrific save Crammeridge. in that match from Crammeridge when it was 3-3, which probably saved the match. Croatia had momentum at, at that point and had that have gone in, I think Spain would have been out. So, again, good character from Seymour. I mean, it was one of the most bizarre own goals that I've ever seen. And it's, it's ironic that Spain had been whinging about the pitch in Seville. <laughs> you can't blame the pitch for that. It was just rank bad goalkeeping. He's talked about that mistake and he said he really hammered himself for the mistake immediately afterwards. And he, he thought in his head, how are Croatia in front when they've done nothing? But then... He actually used that thought to kind of reinforce himself because he thought, well, actually, they're not going to create many more chances. He was wrong about that in the end. But, you know, that's how he was able to settle himself and his teammates got around him. The coach got around him. I think there is a real feeling in this Spanish camp that Luis Enrique has their back. He's very single-minded. You know, it's his way or the highway. And I think we've seen that with Morata mm. because there was all that talk about the chances Morata missed against Sweden. What's the first thing Luis Enrique does? He says, my team, by the way, for the next game is Morata plus 10. That kind of stuff is very, very important for players. He, he uses a psychologist, you know, um, who is like, I think it's Joaquin Valdez, who, who is really important to him. And he, before he has a press conference or whatever, he'll speak to him about the messages that they're, they're trying to get out. The, the way he phrases that particular answer uh, sort of underscores that he is someone who thinks about psychology so much and what it does to a team. And this is a guy who's won the treble with, with Barcelona. This is a guy who had the strength of character to walk away from a contract at Real Madrid and go and, <laughs> go and play for Barcelona. So, like you know, he, he, Sol Campbell gets a lot of stick from, for switching North London uh, wiped for North London red. But this is a guy who, who, at the end of his contract at Real Madrid, decided, <laughs> oh, I'll go and play my football now at Barcelona. He's, you know, he's very, very big on uh, psychology and ment being mentally strong. And I suppose he's had to be. And he, he thinks his players have to be as well. That game is uh, on uh, at five o'clock on Friday. I'm doing that game for ITV, actually. I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, Czech Republic against Denmark is the Saturday evening game, five o'clock. Um, but, but the Czech Republic have spoiled a, a few stories already, haven't they, in the lowlands of Europe, taking advantage of a silly mistake against the Dutch. Can they repeat their quarterfinal win of 2004 when they smashed up Denmark at the Estadio do Dragao? I think they'll relish the opportunity. Um, they are a fantastic unit. Um, they've got some very strong-minded individuals, not least the, the, the West Ham duo. Patrick Schick, on a personal level, is, is very much a, a surprise contender to win the Golden Boot. He was 66-1 to 1 at the start of the tournament. I know that because my golfing partner had a punt on him. I don't know where he plucked that from, but good luck to him. So you said golfing partner singular. From what I've seen of your Instagram, you've got quite a few of those. <laughs> My regular golfing partner. Okay. Um, but I think we're all rooting for Denmark. And it, talking about coaches in this tournament, those that have underperformed, 
Casper Yulman for me already is is coach of the tournament for the way that he's galvanised that Denmark team after the horrendous scenes involving Christian Eriksen in their first game. We have to remember, as well as the psychological scars that would have left, Christian Eriksen has also been their best player. The number of goals he scored, the number of assists he made just to get Denmark to this tournament. So to find a way to succeed without him, I think is an incredible achievement from Casper Yulman. And I really like the Danes. I like the setup. I've mentioned Simon Kerr on this podcast before. I like the two holding midfielders, Delaney and Hoybier, and they've got goals as well. So I do expect Denmark to come through this. I think they've had six different scorers across the last two games and Kasper Dolberg turning up out of nowhere, really, to score a couple of goals. I mean, there's a guy that when he was at Ajax, we thought he was the next big thing. And, and then we saw him in the Europa League final of 2017 and he basically just hid for, yeah. for an, an hour and a half. And, and we thought, oh, hold on a second, I'm not entirely sure about he's this. He's had a huge amount of criticism, went to French football. It hasn't really happened for him there either. But we saw his quality. I mean, the way he smacked in that opening goal yeah. uh, against Wales Brilliant. shows what he's all about. And I wonder if, you know, we talk about moments for teams. I wonder if that might be a really important personal moment for him. And I think he, you said, you know, he gets a lot of criticism. He had got a lot of criticism. I think that especially in that Europa League final, we have to remember that he was very, very yeah. young. Yeah, and had that pressure from very early on. I mean, we know about how many great young players Ajax have developed. And with that, comes a certain amount of pressure. And so I've been very impressed with the way he's suddenly sprung up from nowhere, having not really made a big impact early in the tournament. I do think you write the checks off at your peril. Uh, I think because there is that emotional connection and we'd love the Danes to do well, the temptation is to think that maybe they're really strong favourites for this. I'm not sure they are. I think it's quite even. I think the Danes are a better side, but only just. And what I've been really impressed about with the Czechs is not only how well they've been coached by Shilavi, who's done a superb job, uh, getting the absolute most out of that team, but how everybody knows their jobs and does it perfectly. Holesh, out of position in that central midfield role, has been stellar. Really, really good. The centre-backs have done brilliantly. Kalas, I think, has been a big surprise at centre-back with the way that he's played. Bogiel's back on the left-hand side of that defence. That's going to be really important uh, for them stopping that traffic down the right-hand side. So I think this is really close. Yeah, and in moments where games can be decided in an instant and we are in that sort of zone now in knockout football where every single potential little bit of um, ability to exploit a weakness must be taken, I just wonder about the checks from set pieces. They are so, so very strong in those scenarios. If they can win set pieces in and around the penalty area, they will make an impact. Yeah, but Denmark should have the players to counter that. I'll ask you this question, and I know my answer. We're assuming England will beat Ukraine. I think we're all agreed on that. Who would you rather play in the semi-final? Because I'd rather play the Czechs than Denmark. Yeah, I would definitely rather play the Czechs than Denmark. I mean, I'm quite a big fan of the, the Danes. I've already outlined. Um, I was before the tournament. Um, Damsgaard, I think, has come to the fore in the absence of Christian Eriksen. Uh, Marlow has been terrific, absolutely terrific. He's the captain of my fantasy team. He was, he's been superb, got me 24 points over the weekend. I was delighted by that. Uh, Hjoibier, I think, has been really, really impressive. And that defence has been resilient so far. So, you know, I, I do just wonder about that, that situation with the set pieces, but I would definitely rather play the Czechs rather than Denmark at Wembley. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> if, if it gets to that, if it gets to that. Keep saying when, if, when, if, 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 if. There's that familiarity as well. I mean, obviously England have already played them in the group stage. They both of them. them. They both of them. They were rubbish against both of them <laughs> yeah. earlier. Look, they played the Czechs. They were fine against them. They played Denmark twice this year already. And those two games were torture. They were absolute torture. Yeah. I was in Copenhagen back in September. It was one of the worst matches I've ever seen. It was so dull. Nothing happened in the game. The only thing that came out of that match was the fact that there was no crowd, so you could hear Connor Cody bellowing all the way through, which was quite <laughs> interesting. And the Danes will have that momentum. They have that emotional momentum. So I would rather play the Czechs. And as I say, I think the Danes are the better team, but I think it's a, a smaller gap than some people are making out ahead of this quarterfinal. Okay, well, that is it from us. Uh, obviously, Alex is going to Rome. So when we uh, next speak, maybe you'll still be in Rome. When do you fly back? 
I fly back Sunday afternoon. So yeah, we'll, we'll record Sunday morning, won't we? So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be speaking to you from the Eternal City. All right. Okay. And uh, Kevin, what are you doing this weekend? Where are you watching all the uh, the, the, the live quarterfinals? Uh, I should be based at home. It's my wife's 40th birthday on Saturday. So there'll be a fair bit of negotiation around that. Wow. Uh, so yes, I should be based at the uh, the North London hub. Uh, for right. the quarterfinals. So what, is, that, is she 20 years younger than you, Kevin? <laughs> uh, she looks it, which is to my uh, <laughs> eternal annoyance. Uh, yeah, she she was moaning about turning 40 the other day and I went, look at you and look at me. Yes, yeah, so uh, yeah, I'm not letting her away with that one, moaning about turning 40. It was my oh. wife's birthday last weekend and uh, I took her away for the night and managed to work in Belgium against Portugal as part of the itinerary. I did well there. I think I saw the picture yeah. of that. So you actually went to a restaurant, did you? And that was on in the background <laughs> for her birthday. It was a casino. That was a casino, actually. Of course it was. Oh, right. Of okay. course it was. Great, great, great date. Well done. <laughs> uh, it, it's, my, it's my wife's birthday next Wednesday, uh, which is uh, England semi-final night. And I said to her prior to the start of the tournament, we have first pick of semi-finals. I'm going to tell you now, I am not going to talk to you on that day. Please do not try to come and see me. Please do not get involved with me at all. That game, if it is the game that I hope it is, is going to be the most important game I will ever call. So I'm afraid your birthday is going to have to wait. Is that okay? <laughs> so I've spent this week getting as much stuff together as I possibly can so that on that day, it all just arrives and it's all lovely. And I, she knows that I've been thinking about her and spoiling her, but in the build-up to it, because on the day I will not be thinking about that at all. Um, right, okay, let's hope that uh, it is an England semi-final. In order to do that, they'll have to beat Ukraine live on TalkSport on Saturday. And Crookie will be part of the team. Uh, that's it from us. We're back on Monday. And look, we'll be there nice and early because we're recording on Sunday, so you'll be able to get it from 5am. So when you're commuted with the biggest smile on your face, hopefully, looking forward to a semi-final, hopefully. Um, and and look, all the games this week are on TalkSport, so please download our app if you haven't got it. And then you can take us that barbecue you were supposed to go to or your wife's birthday, because apparently it's everybody's <laughs> wife's birthday this weekend. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.